Good to see all of you. If you have a seat here and you want to find your Bibles, we are making our way through the book of Ephesians. That's what we do here at Fellowship Bible Church. We're into expository Bible teaching. We'll take a book of the Bible, and we're going to break it down passage by passage, and we are in an awesome one at this present time. It is said that getting married is easy. Staying married is difficult. And staying happily married for a lifetime would be considered one of the fine arts. You know, I want you to know that um, marriage not only is under attack, but it has fallen on hard times. There is so much confusion as to what marriage is actually all about and how to go about it. But God wants people to experience thriving, fullness of life. God is the one who actually has designed marriage and he is the one who knows how it works best. And if you want to know what a life-giving, joyful, thriving marriage looks like, and you want to experience it, then the text we're looking at, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21 through 33, this is your text. So if you're a husband, what we're going to be talking about today is going to be directly applicable to where you live. If you are single, if you're a guy thinking like, you know, boy, I'd really like to be married or uh, I have that desire, I want you to know you want to be growing in the qualities we're going to be talking about as we see them in the text today. And if you are a single lady and you would like to be married, let me tell you, you want to be looking for a guy who's moving in the direction that you see given in this passage. What is the role of a godly husband? One guy uh, who got married thought, said this, you know, I thought when I got married that really marriage was all about me. Well, I discovered that that really is not working, and that's, that's actually not the case. So then I came to the conclusion, well, marriage must be all about my wife. But that's actually not the case as, at all. What I've discovered as I've read the Bible is that marriage is all about God. And indeed it is. Most people are not even aware of this. But marriage isn't about you or your happiness so much. Marriage is really about God and the glory of the gospel. And so we have been looking at marriage. We, a couple weeks ago, talked about the role of a godly wife, and we're going to be looking at the role of a godly husband. But let me give you just the big picture before we dive into the details. Let me give you one verse, guys. Verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. The picture that God gives us is the relationship of Christ and the church. That's what marriage is to reflect, the glory of the gospel. And so the picture that the husband is to portray is a loving relationship like Christ possesses with the church. And so that's what we find here. There are roles in marriage, but there are roles that are given in the sense that we are absolutely equal. Just like the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just like we got done singing in worship, absolutely equal, but yet they have roles, complementary roles. And that's what you find in the scriptures. And so when you talk about roles in marriage, the Bible never roots roles in marriage as in like the cultural context in which the New Testament was given. At the cultural context was the Greco-Roman patriarchal household codes. And let me assure you, you wouldn't have liked it. 
But it's also not rooted in the fall. And there are authors and people today saying, well, the reason there are roles in marriage is because of the fall. Actually, absolutely not. What the fall did is it actually twisted and distorted and ruined roles in marriage. Roles in marriage are given at the very beginning by God himself. You can find this, and we'll see it today as we walk through the text in verse 31. He quotes Genesis 2.24. By God's divine design, marriage is male and female, husband and wife, coming together in a complementary relationship that is solidified through a covenant commitment. That's what marriage is all about. And so when we come to roles in marriage, we see God is the one who's established this, and it is our job to take his word to heart and to walk in his ways in his strength. So let me give you the priority of a husband, the priority that this husband pursues, and that is a loving relationship with his wife by shepherding her well. So let me tell you how to thrive as a godly husband. The first thing that we're going to see as we look at verses 21 through 24 is that you need to lead like a shepherd. You need to lead like the shepherd. So he says, verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So in order for any relationship to work, there has to be this equal submission. We're subjecting ourselves to one to another and we do so in the fear of Christ. So when the Bible speaks of like fear, in this case, it refers to being overwhelmed by or controlled by. The reason that we embrace and accept and move into our roles as Christians is because we do so because we're in awe of Jesus. We are controlled by him. There's a new Lord in our life. It's no longer me. It's not culture and their standards. It's Jesus Christ and his word. And so in relationship to the Lord, we then move into our roles. And so he says, verse 21, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And two weeks ago, we spent our entire time talking about this passage. But what does that mean to be the head of your wife? It means this, that you take the lead role to shepherd her and love her. You take the responsibility to love her and to serve her. You take the lead role. You take the initiative to do that. And that is how marriage works. So have you ever seen an orchestra without a conductor? No, because the conductor kind of like sets things in motion, right? They, they have the initiative, and everybody's all working together. All parts are equally important, right? But a conductor kind of gets things going and keeps it moving. Or like, well, if you relate better to football, how does a team function if they don't have a quarterback who's actually calling the plays in the huddle and getting the ball snapped? How does that... It, It doesn't work very well, right? And same in marriage. The husband is to be the one who is taking the lead role to serve and shepherd and to love his wife. And he does so because he wants his wife to experience fullness 
And that's what he's pointing out here. The husband is the head of the wife. And so how does Christ love the church? Well, think of how how Christ shepherds the body. He does so sacrificially and compassionately and gently and lovingly. He's doing everything for the church to come to its fullness of expression. John Stott said it very well when he talks about the husband's leadership. His headship expresses care rather than control, responsibility rather than rule. And so I want you to know that love is something much more than a fleeting emotion. It's actually commitment, and from that commitment comes motion. And that's really what your wife is looking for. Robert Lewis, in his book, Rocking the Rolls, talks about, in one chapter, the title is Common Head Aches, okay? And you get it, right? Head aches. And he says, the top five most discouraging male headship models. And the first, number five, he says, is the irresponsible headship. This is a guy that is just thoroughly self-centered, and he can't be counted on. He's unreliable. You just never know who you're going to get that day or if that guy's even going to show up. I want you to know that is very frustrating to wives. Number four, as far as the top five discouraging male headship roles, the emotionally detached headship. This guy is just emotionally unavailable. He's just kind of checked out. Even when he says some of the right things, there's like really no heart behind it. I, I want you to know that it's very difficult for a wife. Uh, the third, a dictatorial headship. This is the guy who's got an extreme need for control. His primary emotion is anger. He belittles and bullies his family, Okay. He's kind of like a terror to be around. He controls by fear. Number two on his list is the workaholic headship. For this guy, his job is more than bringing in an income. His job is his identity. It's everything to him, whether it's his obsession or his infatuation or it's where he finds all of his sense of well-being and purpose And so home life, why, showing up at home, he can turn it on at work, but he walks through those doors. Home is just a place to crash and burn before the next business trip or the next day at the office. And all of his ingenuity and creativity and great conversation, that all kind of goes away. He he can do it at the job, but boy, when he comes home, he's just, we're done. I don't have the energy or the interest in it. He has really no idea how the focus of greed and selfishness and insecurity, how that is dominating him and destroying his marriage. And then the top um, most discouraging male headship role is the spiritually apathetic leadership or headship. This guy is just unresponsive to spiritual things. Now, he might identify as a Christian, might even come to church, but he really has no interest in God, walking with him, growth, in spiritual uh, relationship with Christ. And what he's doing is he is blocking the intimacy his wife so deeply craves. So if you're like a husband, you're like, oh my, I recognize one, maybe even a couple of the things that you just read there. Is there any hope for me? Absolutely. Because there is God and his gospel. It is God who not only provides forgiveness for all of our sin, But he's the one who brings restoration, gives strength. He is leading you to fullness. 
That is exactly what Jesus does. He is bringing us to the fullness of maturity. And that's what God wants you to do as a husband, to experience his forgiveness, his hope, so you can be the kind of servant leader in your marriage that God's calling you to be. A servant leader doesn't mean that you're lording it over everybody, you're super selfish, and you're trying to control people. I want you to know these passages have hit hard times because there's a lot of guys that don't understand what they mean, are not following what they say. In fact, they've got this kind of weird interpretation where like they're some sort of like super boss and they're just running over their family. That's not biblical. That's sinful. That's wrong. That's missing the mark. Being a servant leader doesn't mean that, um, you know, you, you don't delegate or you, your wife can't initiate. You don't have to be a rally the troops kind of guy. No. Being a servant leader means that um, you're taking the initiative, the initiative to love, the initiative to serve. You take responsibility. You are a spiritual leader. And so you want to leave, lead like a shepherd. You want to help your wife, no matter what her past, you want to help her come to the place where she really ought to be. And God intends to use you, just like Christ does with the church, all of the wreckage and the problems of our past, all of our hurt and our pain, Jesus is always in the process of, of addressing those issues and moving us to health. He doesn't want us to live hurt uh, like that, living like we're hamstrung. He wants us to live in his freedom and his joy. And he is the one who is bringing that reality to all those who are following him. Our wives are far more interested in our direction than perfection. So what does that practically look like to lead like a shepherd? Well, I want you to know that your wife is looking for a sense of direction from you. Where are we going? Where are we going um, in our relationship? Where are we going with our family, spiritually, professionally, financially? It's not like, well... I'll just go on a drive, and I'll come back, and I'm going to tell her what it is. No, this is what you do together. Like for Karina and I, we do a lot of walking and talking, and we talk about everything because we want, I, I, I want to experience and do life together with my wife. And so we talk about like where we've been and all the things that God has brought us through, it's tremendous challenges at different times. Times where we just had no idea how, how it would work out. Just, God, you're going to have to help us here. Where we're at at the present. What is God calling us into the future? We're talking about those things. And by the way, when I talk about like going on a walk for your wife, don't do it like, like one of my neighbors. I, I noticed when he goes out for a walk with his wife, he's like at least 10 yards ahead of her, and she's back there with the dog. And he's, I'm like, there's probably not a lot of communication going on right there, Right? No, we want to walk side by side together. We want to talk about these things. And your wife, to lead her like a shepherd, she requires understanding. A shepherd understands his sheep. And so just like you kind of have some understanding of yourself, right? You kind of know your strengths and growth areas, and you kind of know whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, all that sort of stuff, how you think, what you like. Guess what? Your wife has preferences and a personality too. And you got to understand her and, and learn about her at every season of life. And really, in order to do that, if you're going to lead like a shepherd, you're going to need communication. 
conversation, sharing from the heart, honesty, openness. That means you're going to have to turn the TV off, put the paper down, put the phone away. That little laptop computer, and you love it, right? And it loves you, at least you think that. At times, you're going to have to, you just have to close that, right? So that you can have meaningful conversation. And your, your wife, I want you to know she would like to talk with you. Now, maybe she's, she's given up. We're trying to, as we're going through the book of Ephesians, revive hope in her life. But she values conversation. And so when your wife is, is talking with you, pay attention. Don't, like, roll your eyes. Don't, like, how long is this going to take? None of that sort of bit, right? And the other thing is she doesn't want you to fix her or fix the problem right away. Now, many of you men are problem solvers, and that's a great skill to have, right? Like 80% of the population are problem solvers. But when your wife is talking to you about a situation, she's not looking for the quick fix. She's looking for you to listen. And you might want to take a note or two on this, but your wife's mind is complex, okay? She sees different subjects and how they're related in ways that you may never understand, okay? I want you to know, I feel your pain. And sometimes the story is like, I do really well if I know the bottom line, and then we can go over all the details, because in my mind, I'm like, okay, are the kids okay? Or like, where's the car? What happened to it, you know? But she wants you to hear her, and that is part of you showing value to her. You're listening well and attentively. So you're like, okay, what does good communication even really look like? Well, it's, it's a lot like um, warming up to play a game of tennis, you know, where you're just kind of volleying. You know how you kind of like stretch and you get ready, right? And, you know, so when you're warming up and volleying, you just kind of throw the ball and like, you hit it, boop. It goes over the net, it bounces, and boop. And it's returned. It's just bounce. And, and you just kind of go back and forth. It's, it's gentle. It's nothing crazy. And that's what good communication looks like. Um, so, like, uh, if your wife, like, hey, how was your day? Goes over the net. And you're just, if you just stand there and the ball goes right past you, like hits the fence, how's that going to work? No, you were supposed to return it. On the other hand, you're a little type A, a little aggressive, you know, and she's like, hey, so what's happening tonight? Poop. And you're like, boom. And you're like, whoosh. And you hit it as hard as you can. And then she's like, whoa. And then you charge the net, right? And you're killing everything she's sending. Like, that's, that's not going to work at all. You're like hyper-aggressive. No, no, no. She wants just that gentle communication. Boop. Really? And you're like, hey, well, why did you think that? Oh, okay. And she hits it back. And, then, and there's this, this rapport that's going on. Hey, would you tell me a little more about that? Wow. Help me understand that. I was, I've never got that. Wait. That's how it works, friends. That's what good communication looks like. And by the way, she... She knows that you can do this, or at least you gave the impression that you could do this. Remember, remember back in your dating days, you know, at like Whataburger, right? And like, you didn't know you could be so deep. And she was having these conversations with you, and you were talking with her, right? She doesn't want that to be some sort of distant memory. She wants that to be her reality. And it can't be just, like, communication can't be like cliche, level one communication, you know, just you know, like really superficial. Hi, how are you? Good. Okay, that's, or level two communication is facts, right? Information, all right? She's looking for level three. Hey, what are you really thinking? What, what are your emotions? What, what, do you, what do you feel about this? Okay, it's, it's okay to go there, right? And so, for instance, your communication has to be more than, hey, I saw there's going to be a tire sale tomorrow, okay? Or it's going to rain 
the next week. I want you to know she's excited about that, but there's other things that she'd like to talk about as well, okay? And so engage her. Take the lead role to love her like the shepherd. If there's conflict, okay, every marriage has conflict. My marriage has conflict. I mean, Karina's married to me. What did you expect, right? There's going to be conflict. Well, take the lead role to resolve it. It's like, hey, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Hey, let's go talk about it. Let's go for a walk. Let's sit down here. Let's, let's talk this through here, right? And you're like, well, she's the one that started it. Well, maybe. It always takes two to tango. I don't know. I'm reading my Bible, and it looks like you should take the lead role. Why don't you go? What, if, what about, like, forgiveness? Do you take the lead role in, in forgiving? You know, some marriages have never realized that you actually have to say, hey, I'm sorry for what I specifically did. And then the response is, hey, I forgive you. I release you from the dead. I forgive you from the heart. If that's not true in your marriage, or it's like super rare after a total blowout, you want to be the one that takes the lead role in introducing that and making that a part of the fabric of your family. You want to thrive as a godly husband? You need to love, lead, excuse me, like the shepherd. You also need to love like the Savior. Take a look, beginning here in verse 25. You want to love her in a way that is shown sacrificially. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. So husbands, you want to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love, in the Greek, this is a present imperative, meaning this is an ongoing way of life. Love isn't like, well, I did something loving for my wife like two years ago, and I cherish that memory, and I hope she does too. No, this is an ongoing way of life. It is putting her interest before your own because that is exactly what Jesus does, right? You see that? When we see in verse 25, we are to love like Christ loves the church. You're like, well, what is what does that mean? How does Jesus love the church? And if the church is like, what does that even mean? It's not referring to a building. It's referring to the body of believers. That's what a church is. And Jesus loves the church sacrificially. You can read about it like in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. I encourage you, just jot that down, take a look at it today, and you're going to find that not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The attitude of putting another's interests before your own. It is built into us. Our natural inclination is to be self-centered. All of us are like this. But it is supernatural. It's God working in us when we move to, you know what? I'm going to be interested in about the interests of others. Set aside my sweet little self for a bit and start focusing on others. Husbands, love your wife and do so sacrificially. And you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot love my wife like Christ loved the church. You're right. You can't in your own strength. But God can through you. And as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, do you remember how he talked about walking according to his word, in wisdom, in the will of God? And in 5.18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine. For what? For that is dissipation. That's a waste. You're making a fool of yourself if you're doing that. But what? Be filled with the Spirit. You want to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. 
And it's the Spirit of God, being filled with the Spirit. This is to delight and depend upon God. It is asking God to govern your thoughts and your behavior. And this is the ongoing way of life for the Christian. You wake up, start talking with God and say, God, I delight in you. I'm, I'm needing you. When you're going through the day, express these things. God, would you help me? And you will find that it's God's strength working in you. And you know what's really going to show up? In your marriage. So you're filled with the Spirit. And you love, you love like the Savior. You know how the world loves? The world loves like this. If there is something attractive, something that is deemed worthy of love, then we'll extend or express love. Oftentimes this looks like physical beauty, intelligence, wit, you've got lots of money, uh, whatever it is that you, you know, it's like this is a characteristic that's worthy of love, then, they, then the world says, then, then we will love this individual. And I want you to know a lot of marriages, that's how it's all set up. Because in the world, this is what you see in all those little Hallmark movies, and this is how it's portrayed, right? All the little gossip stuff, you know, I mean, and it's all about, like, finding something attractive, right? And they're like, very nobly, I'm just going to give myself to you. But the, it's actually driven out of selfishness, right? But this is what happens, though. Once that characteristic kind of wears off, or it's just no longer quite as attractive as it once was, or the money goes away, or the, the beauty falls apart, or whatever it is, like, eh, we're just not really in love anymore, right? And so, eh, I'm done with this. Like, wow, over here, this looks really interesting to me. And this really explains the widespread disaster we have when it comes to marriage. Because it's built on a foundation of sand. It's not going to last. On the other hand, God is calling us to see that marriage is actually based on a covenant commitment It is a lasting till death do us part. It's an act of your will. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on beauty or intelligence or money. All of those things that your wife has, I want you to like, you should cherish and enjoy them, etc. But the foundation of your marriage can't be those things. It must be God and a covenant commitment. Karen Howe, in her article, Husbands Forget the Heroics, concluded this, most women don't want men to die for them. They want their men to live for them. That's what she's after. You want to thrive as a godly husband? Love like the Savior. Love her in a way that's shown sacrificially. Look at verses 26 through 30. Love her in a way that can, she can grow spiritually. Look what he says, verse 26 and 27 so that he might sanctify her. This is why Christ loves the church. This is why husbands love their wives like this, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself to the church the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless." Really interesting, in ancient Greece, uh, a bride-to-be would have a ceremonial bath, sometimes like in a river, in which she was figuratively, ceremonially cleansed from her past. And so whatever was in her past, it's all figuratively, ceremonially washed away, and then she was married. She was off to a brand new start. Her past was not in the picture. I want you to know that when you and I come to Christ, 
The cleansing that Jesus gives us, it's not symbolic or ceremonial. It is real and complete. Listen to this when he talks about the new covenant in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You want to be whole? You want to be pure? You want to know true forgiveness from the heart where you're no longer living in the guilt of your past? I want you to know the cleansing, even down to the cleansing of your body. It comes from God through Christ, our great high priest. And so when we see this, I want you to know that our relationship with our wife, it's to have a sanctifying influence. We want to see her grow spiritually. And so you want to encourage your wife's growth spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. That means that make some time for her to actually read the Bible or be involved in a Bible study or to use her gifts and being involved in a ministry. You, that's going to require a sacrifice, right? Yeah, but that's what this text says, right? Fulfill your role. And so you want to embrace grace. You want to practice and extend forgiveness so things are well. You don't have all these like loose ends. We're just kind of in a cold war zone and we're just trying to make it work. No, 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 no. And if that's your marriage, this text and God right now is prompting you, let's make a difference. We've tried it your way, not working so well. Let's go mine. You take me at my word. You trust me. You ask me for the filling of my spirit and let's not see your, let's see what happens when your wife really starts to grow. Now, by the way, ladies, if you think that your husband is going to solve all of your problems and meet all of your needs and all of your spiritual needs and requests, I want you to know that it is not advisable nor possible for any husband to do that. He cannot play the role of God in your life. He is not Jesus He's following Jesus. He's becoming like Jesus. He may have a ways to go. You might have a few growth steps yourself, but I want you to know only God can fully complete and meet every one of your needs. He's a great guy, but he's not God. You see, relationships are designed for much more than our happiness. They are for God's glory and his people's holiness. It's in relationships that God cultivates us. We come face-to-face with our inadequacies and our problems and, and our deficiencies. But God brings the growth, and the grace of his life shines through even the cracks and the problems of our life. And we want to help our wives grow spiritually. Look what he says, beginning in verse 28. We're, we're doing these things. So he says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So we see here that we want to love our wives in such a way that they grow. And do you notice the words he used in verse 29? Nourish and cherish. Nourish has the idea of promoting health, giving nourishment so that life, growth can take place. And the word cherish literally means to keep warm. 
It was used of like a hen who would take her wing and cover her chicks to keep them warm and safe. That's the picture that you are to provide, that your wife can thrive. She's protected. You're providing what she needs to grow, that you're taking the lead. You're taking the lead. Like, what, what, what does following Jesus look like in our family? Are we really going to be biblical about this and actually be a part of a church? Are we going to ever pray? Do we ever read the Bible? Am I personally going to do this? Friends, God is calling you husbands. You will set the tone. And there are a lot of wives that are just waiting for this to happen. And, when, and those that, of you guys that are doing this, I want you to know, you're making it a joy and a delight for your wife to walk with you in this life. And so he says in verse 30, we do this because we are members of his body. So you love her in a way so that she can grow spiritually. And then notice also in verses 31 through 33, you want to love like the Savior? Love her in a way that she can know security. So he's already just mentioned that we are members of his body, but look what he says in verse 31 as he quotes Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. This is where security is found. The two becoming one. They complement one another. They complete one another. And that word joined is a word referred to like glue or even cement. You are absolutely brought together. There is complete security because of the covenant commitments you've made to one another. And a wife thrives with that kind of security, knowing that you're going to be there no matter what's gone on and how difficult things have become. You have a covenant commitment between God and you and between her and yourself. And you're there and you're for her. And so security, I want you to know, it has multiple facets. There is like physical security. She needs a place to live, clothes to wear, uh, some mode of transportation. She's also looking for relational security, that you've made a commitment to her, that you're not going to hurt her or abuse her, that you have her best interest in mind, that you're willing to sacrifice yourself. You're willing to put your interests aside to focus on her. And a wife feels secure when you are trustworthy. All significant relationships are built on trust. You know that? And when trust erodes, guess what happens? Why? Security fades and relationships crumble. And let me tell you how you erode trust. Pretty easily done. Lying, not telling the truth. All of a sudden, you telling little white lies that move into other kind of lies. That just becomes just how you communicate. You engage in things like pornography. You, um, you fail to show up or show concern. And life really is all about you. I want you to know that you were eroding trust. Security is breaking down. But you see that God is calling us and he's actually empowering us by his spirit that we will experience oneness. The two shall be one. That's what God is looking to do. She's looking at security 
Security like even financially. Do not put your wife in some sort of financial straitjacket. You may not even have a lot of finances, but don't like strap her financially and, and involve her, okay? Like talk about these together. It's not like, well, I understand numbers and money and she doesn't. Like, no, involve her and let her share in these experiences. Make your decisions together. You don't want to be the guy who's like, well, it's just me and, and my money. No, this is about really our money, but it's really God's money, and you're supposed to be a steward of it. But you're out there, and you're buying tickets, and you saw that gun, and you just had to have that, and oh, man, I need this new vest, or whatever it is, and you're spending less money left and right, and you never consult her, but she goes out to coffee with some of her friends, and she just kind of mentions that, like, what? You paid for that? And you go into cardiac arrest, Right? But then you forgot that actually last week you bought a big, huge flat screen and you never even consulted her. Friends, that's not providing the security she's looking for. Security is also experienced through affection and appreciation. Non-sexual affection. That you care about her. That you're willing to take her hand in a, in a crowded place Cheryl Levin in the Chicago Tribune in an article uh, titled, Things Women Want. I'll just read you a couple. She said, If you only knew how much a tender word, a thoughtful act, an unexpected gift means to us, you would do it, and your life would improve exponentially. Then she gave this. When no one's home, stand in front of a mirror, And practice this until you can say it in public. I was wrong. (laughs) And after you've mastered that, work on, I'm sorry. Your wife wants to know that you really care. She would like you to pray with her, and it it can be done. She, She wants to know that you are concerned about her well-being. She feels secure when you make decisions together. She feels secure when you express appreciation, that you're grateful. And so you find ways to encourage her. Um, you know, like, I noticed like, uh, this with Karina that you know, I try to get the right gift. And so I'm in stores that I'm not usually in and looking at things I don't hardly even understand. And I'm trying to you know, buy stuff and... And I noticed that, uh, you know, a lot of times that I got stuff that, you know, like, she go, oh, this is great, but then it, it got returned, right? Or I'm allergic to that or whatever it is. And, and I need to do a better job of understanding my wife. And I'm doing, I'm, I'm learning, but I, I have actually found something that, that, that seems to really work and actually is meaningful. And so on, you know, days like Valentine's Day and Mother's Day and her birthday and some other occasions, so I've just started writing her a short little letter. And, uh, and, I, and I give it to her. And I want you to know, I might find some things that I, I know are safe bets, right? But I want the one thing that she keeps, she keeps those letters. And it's meaningful. And when I see a little tear in her eye, and she says, thank you, and she's a little choked up, I know that I've given a gift that means something to her. She's looking for that. It tells her you're a safe person. She's secure. Friends, what you want to do is you want to help your wife thrive That's how you lead, and that's how you love. Is my wife thriving? So I ask that question. And if I see that she's not thriving in an area, like I want to say, well, what can I do to help? 
Or if I'm the problem, like, you know what, I got some growth to do, then God, would you help me and take those steps? That's all right. We're all in process, right? But is your wife thriving? That's probably one of the very best ways I love my wife, is to see her thriving. Shane Sanders, I love what he said. He said this, Seek your highest good, even at your greatest cost. Remember, you're God's gift to your wife. So guys, we need to reject passivity. We need to accept responsibility. It might be helpful for you to find a good mentor and take this seriously. Because it's like this, guys. Happy wife, happy life, right? Happy wife, happy life. Is she thriving? So Paul concludes this by saying, verse 33, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I want you to know by just covering this passage, we see just how much we need Jesus Christ and the gospel. You know, before I became a Christian, I became pretty aware that I'm, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. But marriage has really allowed me to take a real in-depth look at my heart and how much I need God, his gospel, and his grace. All the things that we read here, that is, that is just not possible for me apart from Christ. And you see, that's how God shines. Do you remember what the whole theme of the book of, the, of Ephesians is? It's the story of God in the lives of his people. It's the story of how God brings forgiveness, the gospel, grace, his love shining through all of our cracks and our failures, but we're moving forward, and it's God's power being manifested in our lives. And wives, if you're married to a guy that's taking steps in this direction, yeah, I know he's far from perfect, and he really knows that, does he know that you love him? Have you ever encouraged him because I can tell you, he's not getting any sort of appreciation on this, on this topic from anyone. But he can tell and he knows if you really love him and you respect him. And if you do, why it's going to make all the difference. Friends, husbands, wives, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Godly husbands lead like the shepherd when they love like the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... This amazing text in the Bible. Thank you that you have given us such great clarity as to our roles in marriage rooted in your divine order and creation from the very beginning given to us in your word. Father, for someone who is here today who has never truly trusted you, would they just pray with me and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin, and I need forgiveness. I need Jesus, and I believe today. I believe that you. Jesus died for me in my place and he rose again. God, fill me. Fill me with your love and lead me. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, God, may you continue to give us the strength to walk in your ways. May we live out your word in such a way that you are glorified, our relationships are thriving, and we're experiencing the fullness of joy of walking and knowing Jesus in this life. And so we pray in Jesus' name.